Well, hello, friends, and thank you so much for joining us today for the Hillcrest Covenant Church podcast. This week, Pastor Jen Zerby kicked off our Advent series, Bearing the Light. This first week of Advent, we specifically focus on the hope that we have in the coming of Jesus Christ. Remember, you can watch our live stream on YouTube that happens Sunday mornings at 10 a.m., or you can always find us online at hillcrestdecalb.com. Grace and peace, friends. Such an awesome morning already. I'm so excited to be here this morning. I love, 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 love Advent. I'm so excited to be back in this room this morning. I'm excited to see Wendy again. I'm excited to see Bruce again. I'm excited to have Kendall here. It's a good day. This is a good, good, good day. Also, can we just pause real quick and acknowledge the work that Kara and Joel did to make this so beautiful? And Sherry Howells for uh, so much of the greenery that's out front and in the, in the middle everywhere. She helped with a ton of that as well. I love Advent. I'm so excited. I uh, just real quick yesterday, I thought that my laptop was stolen uh, and my sermon was on at like 95% done and it was like 1230 on a Saturday. So it wasn't stolen. It was in my couch, like in <laughs> firmly in my couch, really firmly in my couch. So you almost just got an extra Sunday of singing lots of songs. <laughs> so, but instead I found my laptop. So you have to listen to me. Uh, <laughs> That was a pity clap, but thank you. I accept those, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm happy to receive those. Uh, most of you know that I went to university up in Canada, and I spent a year in Alberta, and then three years in British Columbia. Now, I think when a lot of people think of Canada, they think cold. But over 90% of the population of Canada lives within 150 miles of the U.S. border which is where I lived in both provinces. And so when I lived in British Columbia, the weather was, uh, was less North Pole and more Seattle. So my first year there, the lack of sunshine during the winter months kind of had this cool novelty to it. It's like the, the cool Pacific Northwest thing. And then the second year I was there, I was like, this is, this is getting a little old. And by my third year there, I, could, I absolutely could not handle it anymore. I've confessed this before because things got so bad that I went to a tanning bed. <laughs> sorry, Becky. I know you're, yeah, sorry. I couldn't, I couldn't handle it. I couldn't handle it anymore. My last year of school, we didn't see the sun for 89 days. 89 days. Just to put that in perspective, and oddly enough, today is the 89th day that Joel and Patrick have worked with us. That's how long... <laughs> We went without seeing the sun my last year of college. It was cloudy or rainy or some combination of the two every single day. And I, I really thought that I meant it when I said that we didn't see the sun for 89 days until I learned about something called the polar night. Is anybody familiar with the polar night? A couple of you are, okay. Well, on November 6th of this year, uh, this woman went viral on TikTok for posting a video of the last sunset of the year. This was on November 6th. She lives in Svalbard Island between Norway and the North Pole. On November 6th, the sun rose there at 12.26 p.m. 
and it set 28 minutes later at 12.54 p.m., and that was the last time that they are going to see the sun for four months. Now, when I heard that, I was imagining those kind of dark, dreary Vancouver days that look like this. That's what I was imagining when she said that they weren't going to see the sun for four months. That's what I was imagining. But that is not what I got. Instead, this is what a polar night looks like. It is 12.15 p.m. lunchtime, and this is the lightest part of our day. My name is Cecilia, and I live on Svalbard Night and close to the North Pole, and right now our polar night has begun. That means no daylight for three months, but that is not stopping me and Grim. We are heading outside for our daily walk. So I wear quite a lot of gear. I have my super bright headlamp, an extra jacket, a wool buff, my polar bear protection, and some blinkies so that I am visible in the dark. Grim is wearing his new reflective vest, which makes him look a little bit like a tinfoil sausage. So this is as much light as we're going to get today. It does not get brighter than this. It was quite windy when we were out, and Grim didn't even want to treat, but we had a really good time. Yes, welcome to the polar night. Bye. <laughs> four months. They live like that for four months. For four months, that's the lightest it's ever going to get. Can you imagine living in that kind of darkness? For me, just living in a place like Vancouver, uh, just living there, people had these special lamps in their houses that... Uh, that kind of emulated sunlight. And so there were, when you're in Vancouver or around that area, if people were lucky enough to have what they would call a sunroom, there it meant that it was a room that had those kinds of lamps in it, and you would go sit in it and, and pretend like you're sitting near the sun, under the sun, by the sun, I don't know. <laughs> now, obviously, too much exposure to the sun's harmful rays can be dangerous. That can be a harmful thing for us, but... But did you know that not getting enough light is also harmful? I'm sure that you know this by now. A lack of sunlight causes all kinds of issues. It causes issues with our bones. Oddly enough, it causes foot deformities. I can't explain that one. It can cause certain types of cancer. It causes depression. It causes skin problems. It causes cognitive issues. And as you all probably know, there is a disorder that is ironically called SAD, which stands for Seasonal Affective Disorder that affects a lot of people, and it's caused by a lack of exposure to sunlight. It happens a lot in the Midwest around here during the winter months, during the, the fall and winter months when the, when the days are shorter, less light passes through our eyes, which then inhibits the release of the chemical serotonin, right? When serotonin is not released in sufficient quantities, symptoms of depression occur. What is the treatment for SAD? Light. Light therapy. Light is incredibly powerful. We need it. We were created to need it. And so imagine being in those parts of the world where they spend half of the year waiting for light. Waiting is difficult enough as it is. Waiting for something that we are in desperate need of can feel excruciating. Well, this morning we are kicking off not only a brand new sermon series, but as you have realized already, we're kicking off a brand new season in the life of our church. It is, it is a season of anticipation. It is a season of waiting. Today marks the beginning of Advent. During this season, the church waits. People throw parties and people bake cookies and wrap presents, and the church waits. 
The thing of it is, as Christmases come and go, our culture is becoming less and less aware that we are in desperate need of the one whom we wait, with, for whom we wait. Our, our self-sufficient, individualistic, me-first, polarized culture has lost sight of the reality that we have become accustomed to polar night, even though we were created to live in the light. This image of, of dark versus light is one that our world has been fascinated with since the beginning of time. We learned about light and dark from the very beginning, right? Listen to Eugene Peterson's account of the first day of creation. First this, God created the heavens and the earth. All you see, all you don't see. Earth was a soup of nothingness, a bottomless emptiness, an inky blackness. God's spirit brooded like a bird above the watery abyss. God spoke light and light appeared. God saw that the light was good and he separated the light from the dark and God named the light day and he named the dark night. It was evening, it was morning, day one. And then a little later, God spoke, lights come out, shine in heaven's sky, separate day from night, mark seasons and days and years. Lights in heaven's sky to give light to earth, and there it was. God made two big lights, the larger to take charge of the day, the smaller to be in charge of the night. He made the stars. God placed them in the heavenly sky to light up the earth and oversee day and night to separate light and dark. God saw that it was good. It was evening. It was morning, day four. There are very few things in this world that people understand the way that we understand the contrast between light and dark. We use light and dark as metaphors for all kinds of things. Author Ken Jones said that the light-darkness contrast is used with great facility in both verbal and visual communication to convey the importance and benefits of, of things like knowledge and ideas and technology, which we associate with light, and then the disadvantage of being without these things is to be in darkness. The light-darkness contrast has been used effectively in moral terms as well. When virtue is associated with light and immorality is the embodiment of darkness. We associate good with light and evil with darkness, and we do so with a good reason. For God was, was not just there to separate the light from darkness. God is the light himself. There's this famous passage that comes from Scripture from the book of 1 John, chapter 1, verses 5 through 7. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. Now, John has a way of making the, the really complex a little bit more simple, but he also has some understandable concerns for his church. Some of you may not know this, but a lot of the Bible, especially the New Testament, are just a bunch of letters. 
There are a bunch of letters written from church leaders to specific churches in specific cities and towns. And these churches that John was writing to were already a little bit of a disaster. They were starting to kind of form their own churches. They took little bits and pieces from everything that they had heard And then they added a little Jesus. And so they took a little mysticism and they took a little Gnosticism, which was kind of a a love of knowledge. And then they, they threw a little Jesus in and they made up their own new religion. And so John, who has a pretty impressive understanding of human nature, he's really concerned about these people because he knows what human beings are capable of. And he knows what comes naturally to us as human beings. And so he's trying to warn these folks about walking down this dark path that they're headed down. John is trying to capture our attention by asking us to do the work of identifying the ways in which we live and act in this world. How do we present ourselves to others? How do we view ourselves? What do we claim about ourselves? John is making us do the work of engaging our faith. Are we living out what we claim to believe? And so John uses this image of of light to help ask ourselves which we're living in. Are we living in light or are we living in darkness? And do we recognize the difference between the two? Seems like a silly question, but maybe it's not so much in our world. Light serves all kinds of purposes in our world. We've talked about this before. Light serves as a guide for us. If you think about a lighthouse, for instance, lighthouses can serve as navigational help, right? Lighthouses can also serve as warnings to boats about dangerous areas that they might not otherwise be able to see in the dark. What does an airport use to guide planes into the right place? Light. Light also brings us hope. Scripture says, the Lord is my light and my salvation, whom shall I fear? Or from Isaiah, there's this passage that we read a whole bunch during Christmas. It says, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land, a deep darkness, a light has dawned. Light was a symbol of hope to them. It was a reminder that they need not fear. We could use that today. Or think about it, when you put your child to sleep, those of you who have kids or grandkids, what what do they ask you to leave on? The light. Leave the light on. Crack the door a little bit. Turn the night light on. Right? Because light gives us a sense of hope and it gives us a sense of comfort and it gives us a sense of safety. The expression, there's a light at the end of the tunnel, light brings us hope. And so light guides and light brings us hope and light also represents truth to us. I know that I've used this analogy before that if you're walking in the woods and it's nighttime and you have a flashlight to guide your way, when you turn the flashlight on, the flashlight doesn't remove any of the obstacles. It doesn't remove any of the possible dangers. When you turn the flashlight on, it exposes them. It just illuminates the truth of your surroundings. It just lights up what is already there. Now, I don't want to be all doom and gloom on the first Sunday of Advent because I really love this season, but but we have to be honest about the fact that darkness is not hard to find in this world, right? Just a couple of weeks ago, I think we passed the five million mark for COVID deaths. Five million people have died 
in a year or less than two years from this virus. 3,766 people have been shot in Chicago this year so far. 678 of them died. According to a brand new study that just came out by Oxfam, 11 people die every single minute from starvation around the world. These are big. These are the big kind of facts and figures. Maybe they feel a little bit on the extreme side. Those stats don't even start to mention just the small but really powerful ways that we can wander into the darkness in our own lives. But here's the thing that we have to be honest about. And we have talked about this before here, and we will talk about it again, because it's a really important reality in this life. At first, the darkness is real scary. We get real anxious. We can't see our hand in front of our face. We don't know what's out there. We don't know if we should take a step or not. But eventually, temptation will will cause us to take a step forward. And so we take a step further, and we're okay. And so we take another step further into the darkness, and we're okay. And so we take another step. But what is scarier than the darkness itself is the reality that our eyes will eventually adjust to the darkness. And I want you to think about what that means for your own life, that our eyes will eventually adjust to the darkness, because that is how we fool ourselves into thinking that we aren't really in the dark, or that what we're doing isn't really that destructive. Our eyes adjust to the dark in really simple ways. When the people around us are speaking negatively about something or someone, we don't really want to stop them. We don't want to jump in and we don't want to be that person. And so our eyes adjust to the dark. That's especially true in our political climate, isn't it, these past few years? Or when somebody makes a derogatory or hurtful comment about another person's gender or orientation or race or class, our eyes adjust to the dark pretty easily there too. In fact, there are whole aspects of this Christian life where where our, our eyes as a whole Christian culture have adjusted to the dark. It can happen to us. It happens all the time. It goes deeper too, though. This is how we convince ourselves That what we're hiding from our parents or our spouse or even ourselves isn't really that big of a deal. It's how we can, over time, convince ourselves that what we're erasing from our browser history isn't really that big of a deal. It's how we convince ourselves that that we're sure that practically everyone else is in the same situation, too. Tons of people are drinking a little bit too much, right? Tons of people are hiding from debt collectors, too, right? when we have just one more drink and we convince ourselves that we don't have a problem, when we say we only hit her once, we only cheated on him once, we can stop whenever we want to. What a good line we tell ourselves. Whatever it is, whatever the issue is, we can stop, we can change whenever we want to. When we tell ourselves that, if you find yourself telling yourself that, your eyes have adjusted to the dark. We can see fine enough, right? We can see good enough, This life is okay enough. We don't need help. Our eyes have adjusted to the darkness. Clearly, that's not an exhaustive list, and so I hope by now you've added to the list whatever it is that you happen to be dealing with, whatever it is that might keep you in the darkness. 
And so if all of us fall into these dark traps, and I want to be clear that all of us do fall into these dark traps, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, says Scripture. And so if we all fall into that trap, but then here in this passage I read from 1 John, it says that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all, then where does that leave us? Does that mean that God doesn't care? Does it mean that God isn't around? If we're in the dark, does it mean that God forgot about us, that we're too far gone, too far removed for God to find us? What else? What other lies do we speak over ourselves in these moments? That we don't matter, that we can't be healed, that if God really loved us, he would have shown up, that it's everybody else's fault, that we're unlovable or unfixable or unworthy of a life that is different from the one that we're living, that it's comfortable here, it's comfortable enough in the dark, and so it's where we'll stay. We could do that all day, recite the lies that we hear, recite the lies that we tell ourselves in the dark. And so if in God there is no darkness, then we have to call all of those things what they are. Those messages of despair that we tell ourselves, those messages of unworthiness, those lies that it doesn't matter, that it's not a big deal, that we could change if we really wanted to, that we don't need help, that it just is what it is, they are all lies, all of them. It's all a lie. When it says that God is light and in him there is no darkness, it doesn't mean that God is not with you in the darkest parts of your life. It means that God's desire is that all of you be brought into the light. And I don't just mean all of you. I mean all of you. All of you be brought into the light that you might be healed, that you might have life, and that you might have it to the full. When we choose to stay in darkness, when we think that what we can see is good enough, we are not living the life that God designed us to live. God gave us a way out of darkness. God gave us a way out of darkness, and, and that is the light that we anticipate coming this Advent season. That is the arrival that we await this Advent season. God gave us a way out of darkness, and his name is Jesus. It doesn't mean that darkness disappears. We know that. We know that this world is hard. It doesn't mean that we won't struggle with darkness. It doesn't mean that we don't even live in dark. It just means that we don't have to live in darkness. We don't have to stay in darkness. We might struggle with it. We might stumble into it. But because of Jesus, we don't have to live there. It means that as many times as we find our eyes adjusting to the dark is as many times as God will provide a way out. Because our God doesn't just bring us the light. Our God is the light. The light of creation that split the dark void with life-giving power. If God has the power to split the darkness of all of creation, imagine what God can do within you. And so this Advent season, we are going to be talking all about light how to bask in it, how to behold it, how to believe it, how to bring it to others, because we too are bearers of light. And Advent is not a season of passivity. We don't just sit around and wait. This is an active kind of waiting. We have work to do this season. 
work for God to do within us and a work for God to do through us. And so this morning, and in your life right now, what are you doing right now to actively dispel the darkness that surrounds you? Are there ways in which your own life, within your own life, your eyes have adjusted to the dark? Have you told yourself that you're not good enough? Have you told yourself that what you're doing or how you're living is good enough? That how you're living is close enough to the life that God has for you? In other words, have you settled for less than what God means for you? This Advent season, what in your life needs to be brought out into the light? Because I want you to know this morning, I want you to know this morning that God's light reveals what God's love can heal. That God's light reveals what God's love can heal. And here's a little hint for you. There is nothing There is nothing within us and nothing on this earth that the light of God cannot touch. And so whatever you choose to bring into the light, God can heal. And so friends, my prayer is that this Advent season would be one where we collectively and individually move from darkness and into the light as we await the coming of the one who is the light once more. Let's pray together. God, there was something stunning about walking into the sanctuary this morning, about walking into this room, and it was all the light. It's a reminder, Lord, of the way that we were meant to live. We're drawn to light, God, because you created us to be drawn to light because you, Lord, are the light. God, I know that so many of us have settled So many of us right now are sitting in this room, our eyes having adjusted to to the darkness in our own life. We've settled. We said it's good enough. I can see well enough. My life is good enough. It's okay. We've settled, Lord, for less than what you have for us. We have convinced ourselves that we see well enough. And so, God, I pray that your light would come as the truth, that your light, Lord, would expose those things within us, that need to be healed, that need to be brought out into the light, that need to, be, uh, need to have truth spoken over them and over us. God, even as we wait, we know that you are here. And so we pray for your healing and we pray for the courage, Lord, to bring all that we are into your light. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.